Okay. This week on Vague State, we'll be talking about being impressionable to new ideas, beliefs, and energy, and what it says about you if you are more or less impressionable to these ideas, beliefs, and energy. Um, so, I mean, if you are more impressionable to new ideas and beliefs, does that say that it that your worldview and your belief system are less solidified, or does it say more about how open-minded you are? Well, I would ask you, how open-minded do you think you are? You know, it's like one of those things where you can, you know, you can say all day, oh, I'm the most open-minded person ever, but it's sort of hard to gauge that type of thing, because I think closed-minded people that you know the, the the type of person that everybody around them is just like, oh, this guy's fucking close mind, close minded as fuck. But that person, you know, I would say it's highly unlikely that they view themselves as a close minded person. Yeah, that, well, that's an interesting point. I think generally people who are close minded um, maybe had some bad experiences to make them think about a certain thing, and that creates. Um, a pathway in their brain, so they they always kind of think of that thing that way. That can be pretty toxic. Um, but largely, those people have just not been exposed to um, either both sides of the coin of a certain issue or topic, um, or just they haven't been exposed to like things in life that they have opinions about. And the longer you go having opinions about something that you know very little about, then makes sense that there's only more room to just be like wrong and not know what you're talking about. I think a good way to gauge how open-minded you are is being able to, I guess, find excitement in new ideas that you hear while being able to acknowledge that you do have like a pretty solid belief system and value system. If, you, if you're able to talk about the things that you believe in and not really run out of things to talk about because it's like you meet somebody and you try to start a conversation about, you know, any topic or anything that you're passionate about. And if they just have nothing to say about anything, then they probably don't really know what they believe. They don't really have a value system. But if you are pretty confident that you have a solidified value system, but you still find... I guess excitement and like in reading new ideas or talking to somebody that uh, their value system kind of does differ from you. And, and he, whenever you're talking to somebody that has different values than you and your first instinct isn't to be like offended or just like be weirded out by the ways that they think and instead be very curious and interested in the way that they uh, that they view things. Yeah, I mean, one thing you hear people say is uh, smart people, intelligent people ask a lot of questions because they want to get to the root of things and, and know how know how the outside of the box is shaped. If you know what I mean. Um, you know, I thought I just had there is like in terms of uh, of what you were saying about like. <clears throat> Um, 
well, it's kind of something that we have written down there as well, is about, like, you never really know uh, yourself fully every day or, or every so often. You're always going to be making new decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so stuff like uh, like a moral compass um, is something that you will form on your own through the, through the individual decisions that you have to make. But, yes, it's very much influenced by... Um, information coming at you from other people and you have to process that and see how you feel and a lot of the time I think you'll find out a new piece of information or or a new angle from someone and I think a lot of the time you just kind of don't think much about it and yeah you might be interested so you might just be like oh okay well that's interesting but sometimes you'll feel uncomfortable or you won't know how to feel about something I mean uh uh, and, and your mind is an unpredictable palace. Yeah, I mean, I, w- I would say that it's easier for you to sort of adopt new beliefs and values whenever you are constantly checking in with yourself and I guess making it a point to be more self-aware. And like whenever new beliefs or ideas are introduced to you, I mean, you need to be aware of how that idea affects you or like how it makes you feel. Because if you, if you are introduced to a a new idea and like you just really, it's really satisfying to hear it. You're like, Oh, I've never thought about it that way. And it makes you think a lot. Then, you know, I'd say it's more likely that you're going to, adopt parts of it. And I I wouldn't say that being impressionable to new ideas and beliefs makes you necessarily less solidified in your value systems, but I would say that it is easier to adopt new ideas and beliefs the younger you are, because the older you are and the longer that you live, the more things that you um, hear and the more things that you experience. Mm-hmm. the harder it is for you, the harder it's going to be for you to adopt new beliefs because you're just going to be so set in your ways. Well, yeah, I mean, essentially, the, young, the younger you are, uh, the more you are like a sponge and you can just take in more information because you've got a lot of room in your head, right? Got a lot of room to grow. Um, but you think of older people... Um, uh, like a certain friend of ours has a has a father who has you know kind of these beliefs on on politics and things like that, and uh, I think of him as an example as someone who is a lot older than us but grew up in a time and, and learning a lot of things in their time that that helped them form their their ideas and their their moral compass and whatnot, but. Uh, now when they encounter elements uh, that are similar to the ones that they knew when they were younger, they'll think similarly, but times change and different people will fill similar roles as time goes on. Uh, that's a pretty broad concept, but like um, times change and people change, but ideas can stay the same for many years and harden and solidify. I mean, like on on the uh, on the topic of age and how that affects how impressionable you are. I would say that I think the older you get, the less impressionable you get to energy as well. 
because I think, you know, whenever you're young, you have like this childlike innocence and it really does affect your empathy. Whenever you're around somebody that's really depressed, you know, I think it's going to affect you more because you're just going to want to understand like what's, what's eating them and, uh, you know, what you can do to help and stuff. I think a lot of the time also, whenever you're older, you will have more experience with close romantic partners. You know, most likely you've been married if you're, if you're, you know, older. Mm-hmm. Um, and coexisting with somebody, I think it teaches you a lot about being with somebody, but not being super reliant on their emotions. Of course, one of the big things about uh, young young people's problems and older people's uh, views of those problems, I think oftentimes um, a young person will will be griping, complaining, or, or worried in a state of woe about what's going on in their life. And an older person might say to them, um, I think a lot of older people will offer good advice, you know, but a lot of older people will also be like, ah, you know, um, that's nothing. You just have to, you just have to get over it. And it's like, and sometimes these people aren't are the same age as you, are not even older. And it's just like, dis, despite factors of age and and personality styles and whatnot and all that, um, what someone is going through is a lot of the time, if it's causing them trouble and, and emotional stress it is the hardest thing they've ever gone through in their life dealing with that concept and so it's just not always easy to to think in terms of someone else's advice you know I mean I, I whenever I first started thinking about this concept of being impressionable to somebody somebody's energy that you're around not only was I thinking about you know it's just, it's best for my mental health whenever I'm around people that sort of have a similar, um, life outlook, life outlook. And then, yeah, just like what they're trying to search for in life. And then like the people that, you know, don't try at all to, to make better their circumstances whenever they kind of just like give up. Um, whenever I'm around people like that, it's really hard to have the same outlook in my in my head because that negative energy, I, I feel like, does affect me. Not only was I thinking about that concept of just, like, being around people that um, have a similar outlook that are, like, helping me grow and everything, but I was also thinking about how sometimes whenever I just see somebody that, that is seemingly very depressed or just having a really rough time. Um, Like somebody that I don't know at all, just somebody that I see in public or at work or something, it like really makes me stop and think and it sort of makes me sad for them. And I thought that 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 was just like an interesting. And that would be a natural feeling of empathy, Um, especially since it's someone you don't know. Yeah, and it's like, and I guess the question that I was asking about that was like, are you going to be less affected by those people if you are more self-aware? And does it 
only have to do with empathy? Like you being more self-aware and like being able to not be affected as much by something like that. Does that make you less empathetic or? I think the, the phrasing less effect is, is interesting because I mean, really, um, you, you might be less affected by something, but only because you understand it, um, in a similar way to, to the way that that person is dealing with it. Um, so what I'm trying to say is like, you might be able to empathize through a state of, um, of understanding and chill and like, you know, maybe the person is in, is in the hole and they're crying and like they're, they're weeping and you're just holding them, you know, maybe not, maybe metaphorically. Um, But if it's something that you don't understand that well, then that's going to create uh, some friction, some emotional friction. Um, and that emotional friction will probably affect you more. So I think by being more self-aware and having had your own experiences of um, ups and downs, then that, that can uh, help you to, to empathize with people, but um, not feel the pain as much because you have gone through the entire cycle of, of dealing with that um, emotion. So more of like a, de- like a detached empathy. Somewhat like that. Yeah. Like you feel empathy towards them, but like, it's not affecting you. It's not affecting your emotions. It's not disrupting your equilibrium almost. I guess. I mean, it's kind of like what I was saying earlier with the older, younger person. Uh, analogy, I think it's a good one because it's just like if a younger person comes up to you, you know, um, <clears throat> let's say because because we're not that old, but let's say a middle schooler comes up to you or someone, a fifteen-year-old, sixteen-year-old. You middle schoolers, <laughs> like <laughs> like yeah, man, I'm I'm really having trouble with girls and stuff, and you'll be like, yeah, so so their problems are probably not to the same degree as my problems have been, but you're still like, oh, you know, man, I know how rough that can be. And like, you try and give them advice and help them out. But it's still not going to, it's probably not going to worry you. It is another person, but it's not um, more serious an issue than you are capable of handling just because you are self-aware of your own experiences. And I mean, talking about this sort of... uh This concept of like detached empathy, like, you know, having empathy for the person, but being able to not be emotionally disrupted or not being phased. Like, yeah, not being phased. It, it sort of connects to what me and you were discussing earlier today um, about, you know, having this demeanor of chillness or like a stoic uh, persona that you that you try to portray. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> does this, you know, uh, image of being chill does it does it affect how you are able to empathize with people? Because it's like we also talked about. Like there's there's usually this persona that you're trying to portray, maybe not as consciously 
um, as other people or even as strongly as another person. Maybe you're just, you're being yourself, but I mean, I think everybody always has this idea of what they want to appear as. And if you're trying to appear as chill, um, then maybe you're like purposely disconnecting from the situation in a way and you don't want to empathize with people all that much. And if you are, are trying to act chill to not empathize with people, then that is probably just truly who you are. Uh, I think a good point to note would be that, especially when you're really young and as you age, you you know, there's definitely the period when you're when you're pretty young where you're like, you want to be cool. So you try and act a certain way. And when you get older, there might be still lingering some like, oh, I want to be cool. I want to be... No, I think it's cool, but not in the same sense. You don't want to be flashy cool. You just want to be cool as a cucumber cool. Calm, collected cool. Like a Western cowboy, you know? Um, and as far as like that relating to, to empathizing with people, I think... I think what's really cool is is uh, if you're around someone who who is having a hard time, what's really cool is sitting down with them and talking to them about it. You know, you do that a lot, and and I and I try to do that myself, and it's just like there's nothing admirable about avoiding other people's uh, emotional stress because as humans we need to work off of one another, and if someone doesn't get that outlet to relieve themselves at least a little bit, then they're going to be in a harder place probably than they would be. And I think uh, in terms of, you know, trying to portray a certain image, I think, I think everybody has an image of what they want others to see them as. And they also have an image um of themselves that they, that they see of themselves, the, the type of person that they think that they are. And I think we should all strive to, to reach this place whenever those two images are aligned. I mean, I would, we want people to see, um, to see us as we see ourselves. And I would ask you, how do you think people see you and how do you want to be seen? You know, I think I've gotten a lot better in this in this um, department because I think I see myself as someone who is genuine and somebody who, I guess, has a lot to say. Um, and, I mean, being completely honest and vulnerable right now, I think I would say I want people to see me as interesting and I want people to see me as somebody who's smart somebody who is, uh, I guess, attractive physically and attractive mentally. I would, I would want somebody to, to be brought in by my looks or my exterior. And then whenever they, you know, get to know me a little bit, they're intrigued and they want to know me more. I think, um, myself included, I think most people, whether whether they're cognizant of it or how much they want to admit to it, most all people want to be valued. They want to be cherished. Maybe if you would put it that way. 
Um, you know, and it's definitely something that I think about a lot, the way that I act. You know, it used to give me, it used to give me more anxiety than it does now, um, especially when I was, I was dealing with some rougher stuff back in the day. But um, everybody, yeah, I think everybody wants to be seen in a more positive light. Um, but the real question is, how do you transfer how you feel and think about yourself into that act? And, th- and that's another question that something that really interests me is like, do you often feel or do you sometimes feel yourself trying to act a certain way or trying to give off a vibe or just just life just feel more natural to you and you just feel who you are? I mean, I think it's definitely a journey because I think whenever you're younger or not even, it doesn't even have to be in terms of age because a lot of people are at different stages uh, Mm -hmm. mentally and emotionally, like regardless of their age and years. Um, But I think as you become more comfortable with yourself, um, it becomes less important to you the way that you're, you know, perceived, the way that you're perceived and like the image that you're like actively trying to put out there. And of course, like we said, yeah, I can sometimes, that, it, yeah. sometimes it's more conscious than others, but I think the, why I phrased it the way I did earlier about the two images that you have, the image that you have of yourself, the way you see yourself and the, the way that you want others to see you. I think, um, it's something that you should strive for to have those two image al- images aligned because you know, the way that you want others to see you, you want, I feel like it's an assumption that we, that we could make that all humans want others to see you in a positive light. I don't think anybody would want others to see them like in a negative light. I think that's just an assumption about like, you know, the human condition, like what we are all striving for. But I think our biggest problem as a species would be not viewing ourselves positively yeah, at, at the core. Because, I mean, problem. because, you know, there's a lot of narcissists and cocky people, but I feel like at the root of those people's problems, I don't think that they genuinely see themselves that way. I think it's like sort of like a cover up that narcissism and that, um, that uh that cockiness i think it is to cover up some deep-rooted um yeah insecurities but i think whenever you genuinely view yourself as a person of value and you view yourself as the things that you want others to see you as i think that's like a i think it's a state of harmony between those two images that I was talking about. Seeing yourself as a object, I say, air quote, air quotes, object of value is, is an interesting... Air quote, air quote. They can't see my hands, but... Um, you can't see me. I don't know. John Cena. Thinking of yourself as a... <clears throat> in the concept of value is an interesting one. I mean, myself... If I, if I ask myself, do, do I see myself as someone of value? 
It's a hard question because it's like. Um, I think it depends on the day. It definitely does. I mean, I I do think of myself and feel like a more or less non-self-centered person, even though I spend a lot of time alone. Um, so, so what I'm trying to get at is like, I don't really think about myself that much in terms of what I mean to other people. But that goes hand in hand with how I feel about other people, which is a bit more disconnected, I think, than than how I perceive other people to be. I think the way I gauge personal value um, is, you know, what do you have to offer to the world or to offer to another person? I mean, like, if you were to meet somebody and they were to have a desire to really get to know you completely and genuinely. It's like, how would their life change Mm -hmm. after getting to know you? What, you know, what would they, what would you bring to the table? What would, what benefits would they, would they get from knowing you? Like what difference, what difference does it really make? And then, and like your existence in the world if you were to exist versus you never existing at all, how do you change the world? What do you bring to the table? Here's a thought I had to do, which has probably been phrased many other ways, and it might come across as corny, but... Oh, no. Everything is nothing, right? Nihilism, basically. But nothing is or can be everything. And so with, by that, I might mean like, the first part, everything is nothing. Is there a meaning to life? I believe not really. I don't really think there's a purpose, but I do subscribe at least at least a, a fair amount to the idea that humans create their own purpose and you yeah. find your own means. And like, do you do you find that you feel a purpose in your own individual life? Somewhat, at least somewhat. And like, of course, like I said, every day is different. If you're going to be in like a more negative, more negative state mentally, then you'll probably see less purpose than other days. But I think um, the purpose that I connect to most is, um, I think there is a worldly purpose. If you're someone who thinks about yourself a lot in relation to other people and the, and you impacting the world. But the way that I think about myself is more or less um, self-fulfilling purpose. Where it's more or less like... Yeah, I was going to say... How can I relax? How can I chill out? How can I have a good time as best I can? Yeah, I was going to say, for me, it's like there is an aspect of, you know, how do I create as much positive emotion in others as possible? How do I benefit others Mm-hmm. And yeah. how do I make the world a better place for everybody else? But then there's also this large aspect of creating as much positive emotion for myself as possible. Like, you know, doing things that I enjoy and, you know, taking taking part in activities that give me gratification, you know. The other part. And I my... think that's pretty pretty uh, existentialist. The other part to my phrase, I think, adds in there, 
nothing is everything. And that could mean, I mean, the example I thought in my head is like, you help someone out with something. They're like, oh, oh, thank you so much, you know, and you're like, it's nothing, it's nothing. But to them, it's not nothing. And it probably has impacted both of you, maybe a little bit more than you, you thought. Something like going to the gym, right? Fairly mundane, but you're, you're going to benefit, you know that. But it's really just another part of your day, it's nothing. But in the long run, it's not, and it really does mean something to you. So all those small... And it's the, the meaning that you give it. Yeah, all those small impactful things in, in life, in your life, and um, and just spur-of-the-moment decisions, which are the ones that, as we have said, you know, you never, you're always changing. Spur-of-the-moment decisions. Like, yeah, I mean, an example for me is every so often I'm out walking, and it's like I see a piece of trash, and I'm like, oh, should I pick it up, should I not? And... Uh, you know, sixty percent, sixty percent of the time, I might be like, <laughs> what? Sixty percent of the time, I might be like, yeah, okay, I'll pick it up, and I might go back and pick it up. Sometimes I don't, you know. What? I mean, I, I think a really important point to make is yes, like the little things. It's the little things matter because of the meaning that you assign to them. But then also, I think. You know, being self-aware and self-actualized, you are, you're basically acting in response to the awareness that you have of how things make you feel. So it's like for a long time, for a really long time, I would just like, I would never go to the gym, even though I felt like it may help me because I was like, oh, I don't have the motivation or whatever. But it's like, now I... I'll wake up and then I'm like, I'm faced with this decision. I'm like, okay, am I going to stay in bed, get a little extra sleep? Or am I going to wake up now? Or am I going to wake up now and go to the gym and get that workout in before I go to work? And then whenever I'm weighing those options, I'm like, okay, well, how, how is each of those decisions going to make me feel ultimately? And I know that getting some extra sleep, staying in bed, it may be nice to have a little bit extra sleep because, you know, sleeping feels good. Getting up is hard. But whenever I look at how it's going to make me feel to go to the gym before work, it's going to give me energy. It's going to make me feel more healthy emotionally and mentally, you know. So I think the biggest part about the things that seem mundane, it's like, yeah, we assign meanings to it to everything that we do, but we also, you know, if we are being uh, self-aware and we're really paying attention to the little things, it's like, we know how things make us feel and we make decisions in response to how things make us feel. And that's why I've been paying much closer attention lately to the smallest of decisions in my daily life. Cause it's like, if we're not being mindful of like the little things that we do, then, you know, it's, we risk, we run the risk of like just not being present in our life. Yeah. I think, I think that's a good point. Um, I think, you know, you might not want to be thinking about the small things too much, you know, you, you all might... the small things, Skittles. Mm.
Mm, ASMR. Dude, I'm about to like finish this entire share size. Do you want some? No, I'm good, dude. I have my Twizzlers. I only eat Twizzlers. Stop. Get them now. They're going to take this off, man. We're not sponsored. What are you talking about, dude? Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we lost a train of thought. What were you in the middle of saying? I don't remember. You really don't remember? No. Fuck, dude. I'm sorry about talking about my Skittles. I ruined everything. Okay. So we were talking a lot about um, being impressionable to energy and emotions and stuff. Sometimes I just feel the energy when I walk into a room, you know? Whenever I'm in the room? I'm kind of joking, but sometimes you can. Sometimes you can feel energies and stuff. You can feel energy in yourself. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you just don't feel great. Sometimes you feel good, and you can feel that in yourself. You know, one one, yeah. um, one thought when I when I read that note was um, I've been uh, meditating more often these days. Uh, really? Yeah, I mean, I discovered how to meditate really when I was around around two years ago, and I did it a little bit back then, but I more or less stopped uh, for a long time. Um, but recently I've been meditating more and, and um, you know, I would, I brought it up before, but I would say to anyone listening, like, I can really meditate to, to a point where I'm, I'm lost, um, lost almost in a trance and I feel this, this warm vibration of energy across my whole body and it's really, it's calming and it's, uh, it's really, it is like a trance. And, and it's interesting, and healthy. an interesting question would be, say somebody walks into the room just after you got done meditating and you reached that, that state that you were just describing. I think about that every night. Again. Yeah, say, say somebody walks into the room right after you finish and you're kind of in that state where you're just very calm, a very positive energy to, to be around. Do you think somebody would walk into the room and immediately just feel something different about the energy in that room. Maybe it's just like, maybe it would, it would, it would even be as simple as like them walking in. And as soon as they say hello to you and you, you know, you say hello back, they're just like, okay, this guy, there's something very interesting about this guy and the way he is acting towards me. And maybe it's not just like a, maybe there's nothing. If somebody would argue that there's nothing tangible about somebody's positive energy, like, something that you couldn't really feel, but like maybe it, it really is something that you can sense whenever you're talking to somebody. Well, I think it is something that you can sense. Um, you know, I, I'm not, sh I'm not so sure if you walked into the room before anything is said, I'm not so sure you would be able to feel the physical thing, but maybe upon like the first, the first line of, uh, well, yeah. I mean, when you, communication. when you see that person and, and you see the way that I am, um, probably quite silent and just like, hey, how's it going? I'd be like, hey. And uh, I wouldn't be moving much, right? Because meditation, you're pretty still. And uh, I would just be totally chill, totally calm. And yeah, that is something you could sense. I well, yeah, I mean, like, I've always been very attracted to, like, not, like, physically attracted, but I've just been intrigued by, by people that I've interacted with. And, like, they just... 
they're not rude or inconsiderate in any in any sense, but like whenever I'm talking to them, you can just tell that they aren't going to be largely affected by what I think of them. They're just like they act very independently of like of other people. They're just very self-assured and I think that's an energy that is very um is very uh it benefits me to be around. It's a positive energy for me to be around. I think it's um somewhat calming. That's the kind of person that you would want to guide you. Yeah, it's and it's and it's encouraging in your own endeavors. It's like hey, they don't care all too much about what other people think about them. They're just very self-assured. And hey, that's something that I would like to to be. That's something that I would like to feel. That's definitely something that I would say I'm much more comfortable with when I, I, when think, I meditate. And I think the best energies to be around are ones that you would like to to give off yourself. That, I think that's a good point. Yeah, That's an interesting one. Okay, um, so now that we've discussed being impressionable to energies and just emotions around you and everything, let's revisit um, being impressionable to new ideas and beliefs. So I was, I read about how there are different types of evidence that we use whenever we're accepting new beliefs or sort of uh, integrating new ideas into like how we see the world um, and whatnot. I, I have an interesting thing to say. There. I mean, uh, I read that, um, especially in a, with the politics, a political example, if someone is reading an article um, from the other side of the political spectrum, is written by someone from the other side of the political spectrum, it takes them much longer to read the article than someone from that side because every line that they read, every idea that they read, they're going to disprove it. They're going to take time to disprove it in their head. So you're automatically geared. I think people are much more automatically geared towards defending their own beliefs than they realize. And uh, that's why I'm a moderate. I'm a libertarian. So. Yeah, dude, I'm uh, kind of an anarchist. So. <laughs> Socialism all the way. <laughs> Bernie, come back. What did you What did you want to convey about um, new ideas? Um, I mean, yeah, I I think the the factor of just like disproving anything that we hear that doesn't that doesn't align with our prior beliefs. I mean, I think that's like close mindedness at its core, like it's like dictionary definition of closed-mindedness, like not even hearing things that we hear, not, not not even like accepting the things that we hear as like valuable um, information because it disproves, I mean, because it goes against what we had already believed previously. Um, but I think, on the other on the other hand, things that we will accept and things that we that we may integrate um, into the way we see things, um, you have to have some type of evidence to really 
make it into anything or just like take it as your own yeah and i mean i think a lot of the time that, that can be someone that you know your friend who's like yeah this thing works great for me you should really try it but like, well my friend likes it i should give it a try yeah like so yeah one type of evidence is like you know somebody that you trust and that that could be like expert evidence mm. so if like somebody is a quote-unquote expert in this specific field whether it be like psychology or they're like they are a certified plumber (laughs) (laughs) this guy really knows that's the only thing i think you think of yeah but like if you have some sort of certification uh education if you're if you're like an expert in this field you you will be believed more on um what you have to say about that topic because you have this thing that you makes makes you more uh, trustworthy. It gives you more of an ethical appeal. Well, yeah. I mean, if someone is truly an expert in the field, you know, like a academic field, they went to school for it. Maybe they're even they have a degree. Maybe they're even a doctor. Then they're very likely going to have strong opinions about something, but also have the diction and ideas to back up what mm-hmm. they're saying. So yeah. it takes a lot more effort to just, like, disprove an entire, like, strongly worded argument, you know? Uh, he's dumb! He doesn't know what he's talking about! And say, like, oh, you got him. But, yeah, like, uh, I'm taking classes right now, and my, my film professor is a doctor, and it's like he knows what he's talking about. His ideas about film are very interesting. And while... I still might not agree with all of them. It will open my mind up to maybe the way that I will perceive things. Yeah, and like I think the whole expert evidence falls in line with the reason why we would trust a friend. Because it's like we trust what this expert has to say because, because oh, um, they they know what they're talking about. And I think in the same way, like a close friend of ours we it's a different type of trust but we trust them and we trust their intelligence and we're like okay well if they if they believe it if they say that it's true then we're going to be more likely to believe it because we trust them yeah i mean if if you're a friend with someone uh, we were kind of talking about this earlier if you're friends with someone you can there's a lot of relatability you know there's like a shared humor between you uh, an idea that this person has will most likely um, not discomfort you. Uh, it'll be something where you be like, hmm, well, that's interesting. But a lot of the time, um, like the the friend that we had on the last podcast, me and him are very good friends. Uh, every now and again, we, we, we have differing opinions on, on uh, a topic. Um, but at the end of the day, if I really think about it and reflect on it, it's only just going to open me up to more possibilities and see the other side of the coin. Oh, I'm chewing my Skittles. We got a Skittles break, folks. <laughs> <laughs> just bear with us, please. Okay, okay. So, yeah, I think the expert evidence... And how it plays into uh, 
why we trust friends and like what they, what our friends have to say that we trust. Um, I think that's just like the ethical appeal, you know, mm-hmm. in, in terms of ethos, pathos, and logos. Amen, brother. There's also evidence of past experience. And it's like, we're going to believe things much more strongly if we were if we were introduced to that idea or if we were brought into that belief by something that we experienced ourselves. Like, um, if we go through something really hard and it affects us in a great way, we are going to have a very strong-held belief probably immediately after that happened because we experienced that thing. It's like... I think one thing that's truly... um, truly might be a indicator of, of having an open mind is it's kind of like what I said earlier despite having experiences negative or positive that you might have had you I think it can be bene- beneficial to always remain somewhat open-minded um, that you don't truly know something even even though the experience you had led you to believe one one way or the other one. And, I, and I think you know beliefs, that are gained from from experience, that's probably like the hardest belief to shake or like, I feel like closed-mindedness most often comes from experience because it's like, oh, I experienced that. I know what I'm talking about. I know what I feel. You can't take that experience from me. You weren't there. And it's, it's, it's very interesting because it's like, I think we've all, We've all had that happen. And it's, you know, I think uh, a rather brutal example that I might bring up is uh, is rape. Uh, If a woman is raped by a man, then very understandably she might be a lot less trusting of men. Um, But we all know that relatively very few men uh, would actually, um, I hope, would actually be capable of doing that and and many men are good trustworthy wholesome people but you can't you can't blame a woman at all um or a man whoever's getting raped of course you know Mm -hmm. you can't blame that person for having these deep uh convictions just because of their own experience you know yeah dude but it doesn't mean that their gut feeling is correct which a lot of the time people can't really understand in themselves. I think. Yeah, and, like, and that's another type of evidence, that gut feeling. It's your evidence of just the emotional experience that you have that's tied to that belief. It's like, oh, well, I believe that because it just feels true. It feels right. Because it makes I, you feel comfortable. Yeah, and it's like, I think that's the weirdest type of evidence to really, like, wrap your head around. It's like the, you know, it's the least concrete, but I think it's probably the most, the most common form of evidence that people use, that people have. Because it's like, most people, they don't really, I don't really, I don't think a lot of people really hash out their values and their beliefs and they 
go to the root of why they believe it and whether that's something that they want to believe or something that they want to value. And you can't blame people for not really um, no, you can't fully blame. analyzing their values. It's, and it it's, takes time. It takes a lot of It reflection. takes time, and then, and then also, like, some people just, you know, that's not... So, being aware of their values isn't something that they value. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's not important. To, it's not important to some people and that that's not inherently bad. There's nothing that says that somebody should be focusing on stuff like that. It's just like, for me, it's like, that is a value of mine because I want to be very self-aware. Um, then I think that, desire for self-awareness and desire for emotional intelligence so that stems from many years of feeling very unfulfilled feeling very depressed and very lost and i think the only way to to combat those feelings is just being very self-aware knowing what i want how to get there and i think that will lead me to where i want to go but some people you know have much different experiences and they, they feel, they feel all right. And they don't really have to do much work on, you know, acknowledging, acknowledging what they want and how to get there and everything. Like, they're like, you know, I'm, I'm fine. Things are going pretty good and I don't really have to try. I think a good number of people from like uh, something you touched on earlier was, I mean, uh, we have a, people have a lot of anxieties these days, and um, <clears throat> I think some people, when they try and uh, when they try to or, or get caught up in in their own heads, you know, it can really um, lead them to thinking negatively about themselves and things like that. And uh, sometimes you might say that's the first step, you know, like what do you want in life? How do you feel about your current situation? And people will. If they start to think deeper about themselves in their life, they might realize that they don't enjoy these things about themselves. But I think that could be the first step to reorganizing and to to striving to to getting to strive for for a greater acceptance of yourself. But, um, that's I, I think it, I uncomfortable. Think it's, I think it's unfortunate, but oftentimes you'll need to. You'll need to either hit bottom, or go through th- go through something that uh, makes you acknowledge that you are unhappy with your current situation. I think a lot of the time, as humans, unless we um, feel a stronger emotion than the more or less boring, then we're not going to be compelled to to change. I mean, one example. Uh, if you follow me, like sometimes uh, either like a parent-child relationship or, or a workplace relationship, if you don't stress something to an employee or a child and you don't like, you know, maybe use a tone of voice or like give direction, then the person's not going to feel like it's very important. Mm-hmm. So they might not do it. And so unless maybe, I think a lot of people, unless they hit rock bottom, which is different for different people, and I mean, and, and they're not going to feel compelled. And I've also, I've also read that, you know, most periods of 
Um, the, whenever I was listening to uh, the Pragmatist Guide to Life, they they used this term flux, like as in flux periods are these periods that you're just growing a lot and you're, you know, making huge life changes. Um, you're like redefining your values. You're just like completely changing yourself. And it's usually like an, on a, it's usually in a positive way, like on an up, uh, like on an upturn. Um, but these periods of flux, they normally are born through like a huge life change. Like if you go through a breakup or you lose your job or you completely change your schedule for your daily, um, your daily schedule. It's like one of the, one of these big changes. Um, that's usually whenever you enter these periods of flux. And I think a lot of the time prior to this period, you can go through long periods of stagnation and complacency. I mean, that kind of happened with me. It's like, I was in this relationship and I, I had grown completely complacent. I was really stagnant. I was not a great person to be with. Um, wasn't being a great partner because I was just completely complacent and I, I wasn't really loving myself anymore. So it was hard to be a lovable, a lovable person, you know? So then after the breakup, I was like, Oh, well, fuck this. This is, terrible I'm completely lost what do I do and then it's sort of in that in that uh state of not really knowing where to go from here that the the possibilities are larger you know there's more options and then you just start trying everything you, you know you there's more room for growth I think yeah I mean you know Growing and growing and changing from a, a more negative viewpoint or stance is something we talk about a lot in this podcast. And uh, yeah, dude, probably too much. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's just something that's very real to us. Well, you know, I mean, I I don't know. I, I feel like the the focus of this podcast is probably just like personal development. Mm-hmm. I mean, today I was telling you like I've gone through a lot of cycles. Um, I've brought it up before. But there was a period in my life where I was, um, due to due to things in my life such as uh, you know young person's things like school and relationships, I had become very depressed and even suicidal at one point. And basically, I was at, I was at the lowest low for me. That was rock bottom. And after that, I changed school. I got a therapist, uh, things went on, you know, the relationship changed and all that. I went to college and I began to learn more. I was alone for a long time. I've, I've gone through a long period of, uh, of change. And I went, after that, I went through a period of numbness uh, where I was still dealing with emotional pain and emotional problems. But just now, um, more or less just recently, I feel normal, as I would describe it. I feel kind of just... Um, more or less at ease, and that might not—that might mean that I'm not as excited with some things in my life, but I'm not very worried about a lot of stuff in my life either. It's a period of um, balance, I would say. And it's taken me a long time to get to this, more or less. 
And, you know, and I think that concept of like going through different periods of your life is very interesting because I've also heard that like there's periods whenever you feel just really down and like the worst times of your life can often lead you into periods of prosperity. And, uh, I mean, I don't know. I think a way to make sense of it is sort of after you're really used to feeling really bad for a long time, um, and you hit bottom, you know, one way to put it, not only are you used to feeling really bad, but then whenever you hit bottom, you, you just do everything you can to get out of that period and start growing and everything. And then whenever you actually start growing and you realize that you've made some progress, it's like the first time in a really long time that you felt good. So it feels even better. And, mm-hmm. com- you know, by comparison, you know. <laughs> it compounds upon itself and you begin to feel slowly. Um, if you're like me, then you might not begin to feel better and better and happier and stuff, but you'll begin to feel less and less and less of the pain. And you'll be like, well, this isn't so bad. You keep on going. Yeah, yeah and I mean, I think a lot of the periods of my life have been, mm, I mean, I guess they've been centered around what I was going through or who I was with, you know. Um, and I think some of the best periods of my life is, well, they've been during relationships and because, you know, people make you feel very strongly and they can, they can heavily influence how you feel about your current situation. Those people, who needs them, you know what I'm saying? But, you know, the, I don't know, it's been really nice because the period of the past couple of months, it's been... You know, all because of me. It's just of my own doing. I don't really have anybody that's heavily influencing the way that I feel, you know, other than like you and a couple other really close friends that I've just really enjoyed spending time with, you know. Um, But, you know, at the end of the day, it's like I'm alone and I'm becoming more and more okay with that. I still get lonely, you know, but I think the fact that I'm doing all of this alone and I'm paying attention to the things that I want and the things that I can do to achieve those things or to acquire them. Uh, it's, it's nice. And this period of my life, it feels more independent and it's been positive. I would say. Yeah. Let's, let's take a look at the old notes here and see what else we've, we've jotted down. <clears throat> so uh, during this intermission, while uh, he's looking at the notes, I'd like to say to everybody that you need to drink water every day. Um, it's good for your bodily functions. Don't forget to stretch every so often. Um, you know what's actually get kind plenty of, of exercise. Well, you know what's interesting relating to exercise is, is I heard that... Um, Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, you want to exercise because it will, there's more and more research coming out saying that it will significantly help with depression, but a lot of exercise, but a lot of exercise um, such as just 
push-ups and sit-ups is actually pretty vital for like human um, I think like uh, well-being more or less like like health like you need to be doing these kind of small stretching moving exercises to keep your body healthy um, well I mean and I think if you're not exercising I don't think really you're you have the same mental capacity and I think it's like brain function and everything because I was at work today and you know, I had a long day at work, had some really difficult customers and I feel like it's pretty justifiable that I would feel uh, sort of negatively after that. But then it's like, I was like, okay, uh, if I want to feel better, what, what should I do? Okay, I'll go to the gym. I'll go to the gym after work, even though I'm fucking tired, don't really necessarily feel like going to the gym but I think it's the best thing to do in this situation so I went I ran on the uh, elliptical machine for like an hour like five miles and afterwards I was like okay that was the best thing for me to do and I'm really glad I did it because it's like not only does it help you feel better afterwards but while you're doing it you just it feels good I in, think, the, in the in the cranium, in sanium. Well, I think um, one thing that I would bring up with that is, um, you know, I, were you listening to podcasts today or music? I was listening to, so I've, on Audible, I've finished, I finished The Pragmatist Guide to Life, and now I'm listening to Emotional Intelligence mm-hmm. by Goldman. I, I had read most of it like a few years ago, but now I'm listening to it, and it's fucking good, dude. And so I think uh, you're definitely going to be invested in that and listen to it. But even still, even if it's just physically, uh, your body, um, and I think often your mind when you're exercising, get into a meditative trance. And yeah. I mean, like uh, people that, that talk about mindfulness, not only do they talk about meditation, but they talk about running. Meditation, and it, it'd be cool to look at the parallels between the two. Meditation, uh, in one regard... The easiest way to describe it is not really thinking. You're not really thinking much. Uh, you're just, uh, it's, it's, it's more than chilling out. It's like being absent from the world. But it's, it's a great inner peace. Um, so I, re- I think exercise can reflect that as well. Um, I think there are, there are parallels there, which... Um, which I would like to study myself. It would be pretty interesting. Maybe one of the last things uh, we would want to talk about, um, I wrote down, how do different people react to social re- reciprocation? Uh, which is, I, th- I think is an interesting one. I mean, you have a lot of time, uh, I, w- I was talking about this with our friend, like, um, he-, he was saying one of the worst feelings uh that you can feel socially as if you're in a big group, you know, maybe like a small party or something and it's going well and there's a good vibe, right? But then you try and add something into the conversation and like nobody says anything. It doesn't go down well and you're just kind of like, dang, bro. It's kind of just like, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. And maybe sometimes when you're just with small groups of people and you, you say something or you express something to someone and they don't, Maybe they don't say anything. Maybe the answer that they give is just like, 
not what you're looking for. And um, it's interesting to note how, essentially, just how people interact with one another uh, conversationally. But but to analyze yourself and to understand how you uh, are receptive to other people's reactions towards what you're seeing and who you are in social situations. I think paying attention to how others receive the things that you say and like paying attention to the way I guess it, it seems that others are viewing you. Because of, of course it's not really something that you can completely capture because the way that somebody's perceiving you is something completely inside their own head and not something you could possibly imagine fully. But you can sort of, if you're paying really close attention to the way that they're acting towards you, um, their body language, stuff like that, you can form at least a picture of how you think they're uh, they're receiving you, how they're um, responding to the things that you're saying. Yeah, And I think paying close attention to that it helps you form your own self-image. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Uh, I would say uh, body language is, is an interesting one. I think you know if uh, if you're interested in that or don't know much about it, then just look up a few body language cues. You know that you might not have picked up on, and when you begin to think about that kind of stuff, you're just like, oh, well. So so that's going to help you give off a better vibe to other people, but it's also going to help you understand how other people are interacting toward you. For example, one is if you see two people talking, but one person's uh, feet are not pointed towards the other person, then that person is not invested or doesn't want to talk to the other person. Um, And there's other stuff like... um, I think how much, uh, like, yeah, I mean, like, if the person is a, you, you, you'll be able to tell if someone is, is interested in the conversation if they're using their hands a lot, you know, and they make a lot of uh, symbols and ideas. Um, but a lot of the time when you don't feel a certain level of social reciprocation that you might have expected in conversation or otherwise, then one way to go about it is to further convey your point, right, and trying to make trying to make someone understand. Um, and it can be pretty pretty difficult when even with that additional um, effort that the person still doesn't get your meaning, um, and that can be pretty rough because that can make you begin to understand that that person is not uh, exactly receptive to your inner um, feelings. I think that's why it's a lot more comfortable and a lot more rewarding for the most part um, to really nurture your close relationships that you already have, you know, maintaining those relationships because obviously you shouldn't always stick to those relationships and only have those forever. I mean, you need to like branch out and meet new people, form the relationships. And there's, I think there's something super satisfying about creating new relationships. And it's a certain experience that you can't, you can't have, um, doing anything else. But more or, me- more or less, when you meet new people, you're going to pretty quick understand, uh, if you can, 
develop a, a bigger relationship with it. For the most part, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think what's so satisfying and so comfortable about maintaining those relationships you already have is like, you know, those relationships that you've had for years, those people that you connect with so well. I mean, you're just gonna you're going to have that uh, that social comfort between you know between the two of you. Where you kind of you kind of just like know what the other person means. There's no formalities. You don't need to try. With this yeah, person. and then it's like you know what the other person means, but then also whenever you're saying something, you kind of have this confidence that you don't have to over-explain yourself because the other person probably knows what you mean or gets gets what you're trying to say at least. You know. And when you feel comfortable with a person, you're gonna be you're gonna be more comfortable opening up and really like fleshing out what really matters to you and your like more controversial opinions probably and your emotional state as well yeah and it's like I think the whole um, the whole concept of like being impressionable your your close friends um, probably hold a similar worldview you probably have similar ideas there's gonna there's going to be um, times whenever there's like disagreements because you're not always going to have the same exact view on things. Um, but like while it is more comfortable and usually more satisfying to you know be with your close group of friends, people that you've been familiar with, but uh, while that is true, branching out and meeting new people is you know, that's where you're going to be exposed to most of your new ideas and beliefs that aren't already on your radar. Yeah, I mean, uh, one thing I've talked about with you, I think if you're trying to meet new people, then one way can be to just start talking to people uh, casually about about the opinions that you have. You know, just the, just the pretty chill, like, how you feel about things and you'll know if they're not receptive to that, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think to sum everything up, I would say like, I see being impressionable as honestly, it's more of a positive thing because I think it'd be very easy to see being impressionable and being less solidified in your views and in your worldview is like going, being hand in hand, you know? But I don't think that being impressionable necessarily says anything about how solidified you are in your worldview. I think it says more about how open-minded you are and also, like, how curious you are. Because uh, I think the more ideas, the more new ideas that you hear, I'd say just, like, by number, the more um, things that you're going to take into your worldview and, like, I think generally, even if you are an expert on something, there's always going to be more to something that you know about or perhaps will ever be able to tangibly experience or understand. You, you, you know, you might not ever understand how a certain someone is emotionally affected by something, even though you're an expert on the subject. Until you talk to that person and get their opinion, you'll never know. So there's always more to learn is what my final thought would be. There's always more to learn. 
There's a whole big world out there, kiddo. You gotta go experience it. Go suck a dick. See what it's like. Experience the girth. You'll never know. You'll never know unless you try it. Yeah. Like, do you prefer skinny or, you know, girthy? You don't know until you try it. You just gotta go down to the shop and ask the clerk, hey, I'm a newcomer. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know who you really are or what you really like unless you experience all there is to experience. Ciao. Yep, laters. <laughs>